This is our third tape in a series that I have entitled, You've Already Got It, and this tape is entitled, It's in the Spiritual Realm. The first two tapes uh, actually build up to this. This teaching, of course, would stand alone, but it certainly would be much more beneficial if you take it in uh, sequence. So if anybody's listening to this tape, I encourage you to please get the first two tapes in this set, and of course, the rest of this set, this entire six-tape teaching, uh, actually would be much, much better if you listen to it in its entirety. And if anybody uh, doesn't have that, you can call our offices at area code 719-635-1111, and you can order those tapes or get the uh, missing tapes that you have or whatever. We've already covered the fact from Ephesians chapter 1 that we've already been blessed. God's already done it. He's already abounded towards us with all wisdom and prudence. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing, that we have the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead living on the inside of us, and everything is already done. It's not a matter of asking God for healing, but matter rather it's a matter of believing that God has already healed and then standing there and releasing that. And then the second tape in this set was entitled Grace and Faith, and that really illustrated that point, how that God by grace has already done everything. And faith is not something we do to get God to move, but faith is our response to what God has already done by grace. If God has already done it, well, then that makes faith very simple. Faith is not a struggle. It's not something you have to do to try and twist God's arm. Faith is just you simply responding in a positive way to what God has already done. And I tell you, I think that those first two teachings in this set uh, could just totally change a person's life if they could get that understanding and begin to apply it to their life. What I want to do on this tape is just to illustrate this and to try and drive it home and make it clear about how can this be? I know that for some people, when I talk about how that God has already done everything, you're already blessed. You have joy unspeakable and full of glory. There's some people that just, uh, they are unable. It's like they overload. It's like all of the circuits just begin to start blowing because they say, how can this be? I am miserable. I am fighting depression. When you say that you've already been healed and that the Lord doesn't have to do anything to heal a person, there's some people that say, no, right here is my doctor's report. This proves what's wrong. Or they can feel in their body, and they feel all of this hurt and their pain and things. And so they say, no, I'm not healed. And they just can't understand this. To some people, this just literally is beyond belief when they see so obviously what's going on in the physical realm, and yet... Here I am, the Word of God is teaching that God has already blessed you. You have the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You've already got it. Everything is a done deal. They seem to be just absolute polar opposites, and some people just cannot handle this. Well, the answer to all of this, for me, is understanding that there is a spiritual realm, and that's what this tape is about. This truth that I've been presenting, that God has already moved, that God has already blessed us with all spiritual blessings. He's already given us the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And everything that you will ever need, joy, peace, wisdom, revelation, knowledge, everything is already a done deal, but it's in the spiritual realm. 
And I tell you, if you can't understand this, then eventually you will lose this truth that I'm trying to communicate because the physical realm does not reflect exactly what is true in the spiritual realm. And the reason it doesn't is because we are like a bridge that brings what is true and reality in the spiritual world into the physical world. And the truth is there are so few people who are allowing their faith to be a bridge for for the spiritual truths of what God has done to cross over into this physical world that we just don't see a lot of manifestation of it. Uh, uh, Here's another way of saying it. One of the very first things that the Lord really gave me revelation on was the fact that I had become righteous, not through anything that I had done, not through my works, but rather I was made righteous by God. And I was just righteous, not because I was living holy, not because I was doing everything right, but when I got born again, Jesus Christ became my righteousness, is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I believe it's verse 30. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, that we were created in righteousness and true holiness. It's not something you are becoming, evolving into. It's a creation. It's something that happens. The scripture talks about 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that Jesus became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It says that righteousness is a gift right there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Word of God declares that every person who believes that Jesus is the Son of God and has put their faith in them, that when they become born again, they are made righteous. And so I saw that truth. And yet, here is my problem. I went and looked in the mirror. And I looked at myself. And man, I saw zits and wrinkles and things that, you know, I knew that wasn't as good as it got. I knew that that wasn't it being like Jesus. And I had this... Uh, concept, see, that when it talks about that you were righteous, that you were in right standing with God, that it was talking somehow or another about my physical body, about my actions, about my thoughts. I could look at my actions and see that I wasn't loving everybody the way that I was supposed to, and so how could I be righteous? I knew my thoughts. Many times I had thoughts of anger and bitterness and lust and other things, and I saw those thoughts, and I knew that wasn't like Jesus. So I searched my physical realm, I searched my actions, I searched my emotional realm, and I couldn't see that I was righteous, and I struggled with this for a long period of time. And then the Lord gave me a revelation on spirit, soul, and body. I've already mentioned that on this tape set, and again, I'd like to encourage anybody who hasn't got that, that is a must-get tape set, the four-tape album entitled Spirit, Soul, and Body, and it'll go into detail, especially on this area of righteousness, and show you how that God views you in the spirit, not in the flesh. But through this revelation of spirit, soul, and body, I got to realize that when the Bible says that I'm righteous, it's not talking about that my actions are all right. It's not talking about that my thoughts are all right, that my physical body is as perfect as it should be. But in my spirit, I was totally changed. There is a new me. I am a new creature. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17. And I began to recognize that in my spirit, I was a totally, totally, totally brand new person. 
And the victory in my Christian life began to come when I quit going by what I saw in the mirror, what I thought in my mind, what I could see in my actions. And through the word of God, I began to start changing my identity to who I was in the spirit. Now, how does that happen? Well, the only way you can get into the spirit world is through the word of God. Let me rephrase that. The only way you can get into God's spirit world and have an accurate representation of it is through the word of God. Jesus said this in John chapter 6 and verse 63. He says, it is the spirit that quickeneth. The word quickeneth means makes alive. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. God's word is spiritual. God's word is telling us what is going on in the spiritual realm. And this is the reason some people struggle so much with the word of God. And they just seem to they seem like they can't understand it. Because like in 1 John chapter 4 and in verse 17, it says, As he is, so are we in this world. It's not talking about your physical actions. You've got scriptures to prove that your physical body is going to have to be changed. It is called a corruptible body, and it will have to put on incorruption. You've got scriptures to prove, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that you don't yet know everything with your little peanut brain. But someday you will know all things. You are going to be changed, and you will know all things, even as also you are known. But in the spirit realm, you are changed. And in the spirit realm, as Jesus is right this moment, so are you. And it says, so are you in this world. Not so are you going to be someday when you go to heaven, but so are you in this world. The only way, the only way that you can understand that verse, you can't say that, well, I'm acting exactly as Jesus is. Give me a break. You may be acting better than I am. You may be acting better than you've ever acted. But there's not a one of us that have manifested everything physically, emotionally, mentally, exactly the way that Jesus is. The only way to understand that is that it is talking about your spirit. In the spirit, you are a totally brand new person. Who you really are is who you are in Christ. And if you could start living from that, that's what the Bible calls walking in the Spirit, and if you could do that, then you would find the power of God manifest in your life. And the only way to get over into that Spirit and to understand who you are in Christ is to look into the Word of God, because God's Word is Spirit and it's life. When it says that as you are, as Jesus is, so are you in this world, it's talking about your Spirit. If you look at it that way, it makes it very clear. In James chapter 1, There's scriptures here that talk about that whoever uh, looks into this perfect law of liberty and continues therein, this is in James chapter 1, verse 25, and being not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. The verses right in front of this is talking about that if a person is just a hearer of the word and not a doer, then he's like a man who beholds his natural face in a glass. And this is talking about a mirror. He beholds himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. He was. When you look into a mirror, you see your physical face. But when you look into the word of God, you see your spiritual self. If I was to talk to you and say, your hair's messed up, how do you know if your hair's messed up or not? Those of you that have hair, how do you know that? 
Well, you can't go by how it feels. The only way you know is you go and look in a mirror. And what you see in the mirror, you just believe it. And you act accordingly. If you see some hairs out of place, well, then you comb and put them into place. And you go by what you see in that mirror. But did you realize that what you're seeing in the mirror is not really your hair? It's not really your face. Let me just make a radical statement. Did you realize you've never seen your face before? And some of you are just shocked, saying, oh, yes, I have. No, you can't see your face. You've never seen your face. You may have seen a reflection of your face. You may have seen a picture of your face, a drawing of your face, but you haven't seen your face. How do you know that they draw your face accurately? How do you know that the image you see reflected in a mirror is accurate? Haven't you ever looked in a mirror where it makes a fat person skinny and it makes a skinny person fat? You can you can distort things. How do you know that that image is correct? Well, of course, many of you are thinking that's absurd, and I just trust it. It's you know it works. It's it's not a problem. But the point that I'm making is you are looking at some representation, and it's the same thing when you look into the Word. When you look into the Word of God, this tells you who you are in Christ, and it tells you spiritual truths. It tells you things that are happening in the spiritual world. And if you want to be spiritually minded and you want to get the benefits of being spiritually minded, which Romans chapter 8 verse 6 says to be spiritually minded is life and peace, but to be carnally minded is death. If you are dominated by what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel, if you can't believe anything beyond what your five senses can tell you and confirm, if you believe it has to be in a test tube, it has to be proven scientifically before you believe it exists, then you will never move into the supernatural things of God because God is a spirit, John 4, 24. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Another way of saying that is you must get into understanding the spiritual realm. You must get to where you are spiritually minded. Spiritual mindedness produces life and peace. If you are carnal minded, it will produce death in you. So I say all of this to say, that I've already taught that God has done everything. And some people, they see it in scriptures, they see these scriptures that I've used, and yet they just come to a wall and they say, but here's what reality is. I do not look blessed. I do not look healed. I do not look like I have the power and the anointing of God. I don't have any tingling in my hands. How can you say I can go raise the dead and on and on? It's not in the physical world. It's in the spiritual world. There are two different worlds. Let me give you some examples of this, something in Scripture that I believe will help make this very clear to you. In 2 Kings chapter 6, there's an instance where the king of Syria was warring against the king of Israel, and he would send ambushes to destroy the king of Israel's army. And every time he would do this, there would be an ambush waiting for him. It was like the king of Israel knew beforehand what the king of Syria's battle plans were. And after this happened a number of times, the king of Syria uh, said that somebody here is a traitor. And this is Second Kings chapter 6 and verse 11. And it says, Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing, and he called his servants and said unto them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, somebody here is a spy. Somebody's an informant. In verse 12, one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, 
The prophet that is in Israel telleth the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedchamber. Elisha, who was plugged into God, was hearing from God. He was telling the king of Israel what was going on. The king of Israel was trusting what Elisha was seeing and hearing in the spirit. He acted on it, and every time he was able to defeat the Syrian army. And so because of this, the king of Syria, in verse 14, it says, Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about, the city where Elisha was. In verse 15, And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? Which that's just an old English way of saying that this man panicked. He freaked out. He saw these armies. He knew why they were there because they were the one that was giving away the king of Syria's battle plans. And he came unto his master, Elisha, and he said, What are we going to do? And in verse 16, Elisha answered and said, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Now, see, people who do not understand that there is more to life than what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. People who think that there is no reality outside of the physical realm would look at Elisha here and say, he lied. And see, there's a lot of people who don't understand people who are operating in faith. And they think that a faith person is just saying that they're healed when they really aren't healed, hoping that it'll become so. I heard a man one time say that you have to say that it's so when it isn't so in order for it to become so. That's not true. See, now that's just lies and deception. But what you're doing is you say what is so. It is true, but it's a spiritual truth when it isn't a physical truth. And if you will say it and believe it and act on it, then the spiritual truth will overcome the physical truth and the physical will bow its knee and what is already true in the spiritual will become true in the physical. But it's not just faking it till you make it. A person who is truly operating in faith and saying things like, I am blessed when their checking account is all in the red. If they are really in faith, what they're doing is confessing what God has done in the spirit. And if they confess it and believe it, then it will eventually manifest itself in the physical realm. See, this is what Elisha did. He said, fear not, they that be with us are more than they that be with them. That would have been a lie if all there is to reality is just the physical world, what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. But, of course, there's more to it than that. Now, Elisha's servant wasn't operating in faith the way that Elisha was, and so I'm sure that he was shocked by this. And so it says in verse 17, And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. It says that the Lord opened the young man's eyes. I can guarantee you his physical eyes were open. They were probably as big as saucers looking at all of these enemies that he'd come to take him. His physical eyes were open, but this is talking about the eyes of his heart. Again, this is an ability to see with your heart, to see things that can't be seen with your physical eyes. It's the ability to see into the spiritual world instead of just being limited to what you can see with your physical eyes. Jesus used this same type of reasoning when he said, Those of you that have ears to hear, 
Well, every person listening to him had physical ears on their head, but he was talking about those of you who can hear with your heart. Listen and receive what I'm saying. See, you have to be able to perceive things with your heart that you cannot perceive with your little five senses. And this is what Elisha prayed for the servant. So the servant had his spiritual eyes open, and it says that round about them, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire. What this was were the angels of God. And you know, when the servant's eyes were open, spiritual eyes were open, and he saw this, is not when the angels showed up. They were already there. Spiritual reality was already there. He just wasn't aware of it. There is no indication that Elisha had his eyes opened up. He didn't see this. He believed it based on the promises of God. God had given promises. You know, David was a prophet before the time of Elisha. And David had written about that the angel of the Lord encamps round about those who love him, that the Lord will give his angels charge over thee, and they will bear thee up in their hands, lest, it in, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And there were promises about angels. Apparently, Elisha just believed them. He didn't have to see it. But he prayed that the young man's eyes were open, and he, his eyes, with his heart, he saw this. But when he saw it is not when God did it, it was already there. Brothers and sisters, there are so many spiritual truths and realities around us that most of us cannot perceive simply because we limit what we believe to what we can perceive with our five senses. You've got to go beyond that and recognize there's a spiritual world. In the spiritual world, God has already healed you. He has already commanded a blessing upon you. God has already given you joy and peace. All of these things are in you in abundance in your born-again spirit. But you have to see it on the inside before you see it on the outside. Now, that's a great statement. You have to see it on the inside before you see it on the outside. Another way of saying that is you have to see and believe that in the spirit these things are already done and accomplished and that the spiritual world is real. It is not fake. It is not just fantasy. It is reality. The spiritual world actually created this physical world, this physical universe, the earth, all of the trees. Everything that we can see and touch was created by spiritual force. It says over in Hebrews chapter 11, things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. They, they had substance. They were, phys, they were reality, not physical, but they were reality, but it was spiritual reality. God took spiritual substance and created everything physical that we see. The spiritual world is the parent force to the physical world. And, of course, the parent force is always greater than the force that it created. The creator is always greater than the creation. The spiritual world is real. And here is an example of it. And because Elisha believed that he had these horses and chariots of fire round about him, he just walked out in the midst of this opposing enemy army, raised his hand, and smote the enemy with blindness. They dropped their weapons. They couldn't see. They were groping. And he told them to take each other by the hand. And he led them single file to the king of Israel. And then he opened up their eyes. And he took the entire Syrian army captive because he believed in the power that was in the spiritual realm. That it was there and he drew on it. And uh, he didn't use a physical weapon. He used spiritual weapons. It's real. Let me give you another example of this. 
In Daniel chapter 9, there's an example here where Daniel was praying that he would get revelation knowledge about Jeremiah's prophecy of the children of Israel being in captivity for 70 years. And uh, the reason he's asking for revelation because it had already been over 70 years. In other words, it looked like an apparent contradiction. It looked like that what Jeremiah prophesied didn't come to pass. And ultimately in this chapter, the Lord showed him that it was 70 weeks of years. Instead of it, well, anyway, I won't go into all that. That's not what I'm teaching on. But instead of 70 years, it was actually a prophecy of 490 years. And he explained that. But Daniel was asking for this revelation. And in Daniel chapter 9 and in verse 3, he says, I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said. And then he begins to pray a prayer. For time's sake, I'm not going to read this whole prayer, but it goes down through the ninth chapter of the book of Daniel. And um, go on down into verse um, 19. Here is the end of his prayer. He says, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake. O my God, for for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. And in verse 20 it says, And while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, this is talking about the angel Gabriel, the same one that appeared unto Zacharias and Mary in the New Testament, it says, This man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation, And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. So Daniel is praying a prayer. If you were to read his prayer, it takes somewhere around maybe uh, three minutes. And three minutes into his prayer, while he was still praying, the angel Gabriel showed up and said, I've come to answer your prayer and to give you understanding about this matter. Now, this is wonderful. Man, that'd be great if everything that we prayed for manifested itself so that we had a physical manifestation of what we had prayed for in three minutes. Most people can handle that. But let me show you what Daniel, uh, what Gabriel said to Daniel when he showed up in verse 23. He said, At the beginning of thy supplications the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore understand the matter. And consider the vision. So Gabriel told Daniel, he said, Daniel, at the beginning of your prayer, God gave me a commandment to come and tell you. Now, here's something I want you to see. God moved in the spiritual world and gave a commandment at the beginning of Daniel's prayer. And yet it took approximately three minutes for Gabriel to show up. Now, here are some very important things that you need to understand. This will help you tremendously in receiving from God. Most people just incorrectly assume that there is no such thing as time or distance or any of those type of limitations with God. Now, I know that some people think that I'm speaking heresy to even infer that they are, but here is an example of where God gave a command to one of his angels And it took approximately three minutes 
for him to show up. Now, that's not a long period of time, but it does show that God moved in the spiritual world before there was any physical evidence of it. See, most people just assume that the moment God thinks something, the moment God wants something to happen, boom, like that, instantaneously, there is just manifestation, that there are no limits, there are no restrictions upon God. And yet, here's an example of God giving a command, and it took approximately three minutes. Now, the scripture doesn't explain what was going on. Maybe Gabriel, you know, needed to pack, and it took him three minutes to pack. Maybe he was on the other side of the universe, and it took him three minutes to cover 100 billion light years. Uh, Who knows what was going on? I don't know, but it establishes a principle that God commanded before there was physical manifestation. Now, most people would think, well, three minutes, it's not a big deal. Well, but it establishes a principle that God moves in the spirit realm, and then there is a physical manifestation, and there can be a lapse of time here. Let's look at another example of Daniel in the next chapter. This is the same man praying. If anything, he should have his faith so strong after having Gabriel appear unto him and give him his answer to his prayer, he should be so strong in faith that in the 10th chapter he should get better results than he did in the 9th chapter because he should should have been encouraged and, and more in faith. The reason I like to use Daniel as an example here is because when I talk about how God answers my prayers, see, some people think, well, you're just different. Some people think that God has favorites. There's certain people he responds to better than others, and so they just discount my thing and say, well, you're different. You never have a problem. Well, here's the same man, Daniel, that had a wonderful manifestation of his answer to prayer in the ninth chapter. He got his prayer answered while he was still praying, approximately three minutes into his prayer. In the tenth chapter, he prays a prayer, and this time it is three weeks. Three weeks, not three minutes before he sees a manifestation of what he's prayed for. In Daniel chapter 10, verse 2, he says, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now this time he not only prayed, but he added fasting to his prayer and afflicting himself. And yet, instead of seeing better results, he saw worse results. And finally, if you go down into the 10th verse, it says, And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Now, Daniel got his prayer answered, but this time it took three weeks instead of three minutes. Why do you think that God answers some prayers in three weeks and other prayers in three minutes? Have you ever thought this? Have you ever had God just do something quickly for you and then at other times it seems like it's weeks, months, years and you're still standing and believing and you wonder, God, why are you doing this? Did you know that that question is actually the wrong question? It's an invalid question. Because when you find the answer, look at this. In Daniel chapter 10 and in verse 12, he says, Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you did set your heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. 
You know, this messenger said, from the first day, God gave a command. God gave you your answer. But it took him 21 days before he could break through the opposition. In the next verse, it says, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in 20 days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. And I hadn't got time to go through all this and verify, but the prince of uh, Persia here, or the king of Persia, is talking about a demonic power, a demonic opposition. The reason that it took three minutes for what God had done to manifest in the ninth chapter and three weeks to manifest in the tenth chapter was not because God moved in three minutes in one case and three weeks in the next case. No, God moved instantly in both cases. God was not the variable. God did not change. God answers every prayer instantly. And actually in the New Testament, as we've been teaching on this tape set, God has already done everything. See, Daniel was looking forward to and asking God to do things. In the New Testament, we look back to what God has already done through Christ. It's a done deal. It, God doesn't answer some people's prayers instantly and other people's prayers in three weeks and three months or three years. God answers everything. It's already been done. The provision has been made before you even have a need. It is not God who is moving differently in different people, but rather it's people who receive differently. God has already done his part. But there are things that hinder what God has done in the spiritual world from coming into the physical world. Now, here's some more assumptions that people make that I think are absolutely incorrect. People assume that the devil is all-powerful and omniscient. Well, what I mean by that is that the de- most people believe actually that the devil is more faithful than God. They, they aren't sure if they do everything right that God will answer their prayer, but they are absolutely convinced if they do one thing wrong that the devil is going to devour them. They actually believe in the faithfulness of the devil. They believe that the devil never misses a trick. They believe that he's always there. You'll hear people talk about, well, the devil is doing this to me and the devil is doing that. There's only one devil and he is not omniscient. He is not everywhere. He can only be in one place at a time. And for every one of us to say that the devil talks to us personally every day and tries to tempt us to sin is absolutely incorrect. Now, I do believe that his kingdom is against us, but... I believe we give the devil way too much credit. The devil is not all-powerful. He is not all-knowing. He doesn't always get it right. He doesn't always do things correctly. You know, I believe it's very possible that in the ninth chapter of the book of Daniel that the devil possibly was out licking his wounds and just sulking and pouting. I mean, that's his nature. That's who he is. And he could have been over there, and he just may not have recognized how dangerous Daniel was. He hadn't seen Daniel really display himself yet. Who knows? Maybe he was on vacation. Maybe he was asleep. Maybe he was tired. Sometimes the devil misses it. And most people aren't willing to give the devil that kind of a recognition. But I believe that anybody who fights against God, he's not stupid, but he's sure not smart. He just misses it sometimes. And in the ninth chapter, Daniel's prayer got through to God and Gabriel appeared in about three minutes and and Satan wasn't even a factor. 
But in the 10th chapter, after Daniel got such a great revelation and prophesied about the Messiah and put some very important elements of that prophecy into place, well, then the devil was was marshalling his forces against Daniel, and he was going to make sure that Daniel didn't get another prayer through without opposition. In the 10th chapter, Daniel just experienced a demonic hindrance against his prayer that had nothing to do with him. It wasn't Daniel that was the variable. It wasn't God who was the variable. Satan was the variable. Sometimes Satan fights us. Sometimes he doesn't. I don't know all the reasons for this, but I can say this, that we give the devil way too much credit to think that he is consistent and always doing things right. He's not. He blows it a lot of times. You know, look at it this way. As far as we know from Scripture, there is no indication that demons reproduce and have baby demons. The point that I'm making is there's no indication that the number of demons has grown over the centuries and over the millennia. And so there's either one or two things happening. Either there was a huge number of demons per person back in Adam and Eve's day, or there is a lack of demons today. See, we've now got nearly 6 billion people or so on the planet. And uh, if there is a personal demon for every person on the planet, that meant there were 6 million demons attacking Adam and Eve and their kids in the early days. Man, that's a disproportional number. Or possibly maybe there's not that many demons. And if that's so with this many people, you know what? There's a shortage of demons to go around. Sometimes I think that the devil just lets some people go because he's shorthanded. He can't do everything he's trying to do. Again, see, we just assume that the devil is limitless in his ability to fight us. I don't think that's true. And so Daniel, for whatever reason, his prayer got through to God with zero resistance in the ninth chapter. But in the tenth chapter, it was Satan who hindered his prayer. Now, most Christians today... If you pray a prayer and if you don't see a manifestation, instead of us thinking about God, I know that you're faithful and that you answer my prayers instantly, that it's a done deal. There is zero hindrance with you. Instead of praying that way, what most Christians do today, we just think, oh, God, you're all powerful. If you really wanted to heal me, you, I'd be healed. And I've prayed and I've fasted and nothing has happened. It's been three weeks and then we just lose our faith and get upset with God and get bitter and wonder what's going on. And it brings us out of faith. You know, if Daniel would have moved out of faith in this situation and have quit praying on the 20th day and just said, well, God answered my prayer last time in in three minutes. This time it's been nearly three weeks. I quit. Then I believe even though God had already given the commandment, even though this messenger was on his way and there was battle being done in the heavenlies, that that answer never would have manifested itself because Dave, Daniel would have withdrawn his faith. And God does things according to the power that's at work in us. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And so we have to be believing. We have to provide that bridge. See, God is a spirit. God moves in the spiritual world. But whether it ever becomes manifest into the physical world is not dependent upon whether God answers our prayer, but rather whether we can, by faith, reach over 
into that spiritual world and bring what God has already done into physical manifestation. It's dependent upon whether our faith provides a bridge for God to cross over into the physical world. God does not do things without us, and we certainly can't do anything without him. It has to be God that produces it in the spiritual world, but then he flows through us to get it into the physical world. Man, that is an awesome revelation. And see, Daniel, I don't know for sure if Daniel understood all of these things, but he knew that God had his answer and he was refusing to quit and give up. You know, there are some Christians who persevere in prayer and stand in prayer and pray until they see it come to pass. And that's good as far as it goes. That's the way that Daniel prayed here. But Daniel was an Old Testament man who did not have uh, the authority and the power that we have now through the born-again experience. You know, Daniel, there's no indication from the word that Daniel knew what was happening in the spiritual world when he prayed. From his perspective, it may have looked like God was just totally silent and ignoring him. But yet he persevered, and he continued in faith. And it was only after the messenger appeared to him and explained what was going on that he found out. But even if God would have shown Daniel that there was a prince of the kingdom of Persia that was withstanding the messenger that was bringing his answer, it wouldn't have done Daniel any good because Old Testament men did not have the authority over the devil. In the New Testament, we have been given authority, and if we don't resist the devil, then he won't flee. God has given us authority and power. He says in uh, James chapter 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore unto God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You have to resist the devil, and then the devil flees from you. It's God's power standing behind you that makes it work, but nonetheless, the devil flees from us. You can't ask God to rebuke the devil for you. We have been given authority. But see, Daniel didn't have that authority. Even if he would have known what was happening and that there was demonic opposition against his prayer, it wouldn't have done him any good because he didn't have the authority to rebuke the devil. But as New Testament believers, we don't have to pray the way that Daniel prayed and just pray and then stand there and let the devil hinder us and fight us and then eventually we win by default. In a sense, that's what happened to Daniel right here. And that's the way that many people today, if they do receive a miracle from God, that's the way they get it. They're just like a dog with a bone. They grab hold of it and say, "This is I know God has given me this thing. They refuse to let go and they stand there against all of the hurt and the pain and the persecution that the devil gives them and they still are standing after he's done his worst and they, they get it by default. But you know, there's a better way to pray. As New Testament believers, let's just suppose that Daniel here was born again and had the privileges of a New Testament saint. Then Daniel could have prayed. And in the 10th chapter, when he didn't see his answer manifest within three minutes, he could have said, God, I know that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what the New Testament says, Hebrews chapter 13, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if, you've gave, if you gave a commandment at the beginning of my supplication last time, I know you did the same thing this time. You've answered. Father, I thank you that, that your answer is on the way. You've already given a command. And so, God, where's the problem? 
And God could have shown him, well, there's a demonic opposition against your prayer. And then Daniel could have stood up and have rebuked that demonic power. If he had been a New Testament believer, he could have taken authority over the devil, commanded the devil to get out of the way, and he could have shortened the manifestation period of time in between when he said, amen, and there it is. He could have done that as a New Testament believer. As an Old Testament believer, he couldn't. All he could do is just stand. But see, if you understand these principles, then it'll give you great comfort to know that God has already done it. God has already commanded, but it has to come from the spiritual world into the physical world, and there are numbers of things that can happen to hinder that. Now, I could literally unplug right here and just start talking about hundreds of things that the Lord has shown me that hinder what God has already done in the spiritual world from coming into the physical world. I haven't got time to teach on that, but let me just give an example here and illustrate some of this. In the area of finances, many people think they just pray and then they expect God to instantly manifest their answer. And if it doesn't happen, then then they get into doubt and say, well, God, you haven't done anything. No, God has already done his part. He's already commanded financial blessing upon all believers. It says in Deuteronomy 8.18 that you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he that gives you power to get wealth that he might establish his covenant here on this earth. God has already given power, anointing, ability to every born-again believer to prosper. God has commanded us to prosper. Psalms chapter 35, verse 27 says, He delights in the prosperity of his servants. And so God has already done this. In the spiritual world, there is prosperity for every born-again believer. But some of the ways that Satan can hinder that is that God himself is not going to give you money. The Scripture doesn't say God gives you money. That Scripture I just quoted in Deuteronomy 8.18 says He gives you power to get wealth. He doesn't give you wealth directly. He gives you an anointing, an ability, and then you have to go out and set your hand unto something. One reason that many Christians are praying for financial blessing and they haven't seen it manifest is because they think God gives them money directly. That's not what He does. He gives you an anointing, an ability favor so that you can go out and set your hand unto something and he'll begin to bless it. And many Christians are just sitting home praying and asking God for money and they haven't set their hand unto anything. A hundred times zero is zero. You got to go do something. There's a lot of people that are on welfare because they can't make as much money at McDonald's as they can on welfare. And so they do nothing, and they're just praying for God to dump something in their lap. God can't multiply and bless welfare because you aren't doing anything to get it. But if you would go out and work at McDonald's, even if you had to take a cut in pay from what you could get on welfare, then God could begin to multiply that and begin to prosper you and bring finances to you. See, you can hinder what God has already commanded and done in the spirit from coming into the physical realm. Another thing that is a hindrance here is that God himself isn't the one that is going to put the money in your hand, but he's going to use people to bless you. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, it says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. God uses people to get finances to you. 
God himself does not use money. We don't have money in heaven. Now, there's gold and silver and precious stones, but they aren't uh, used for exchange. There is no such thing as money. Money is an earthly institution. Now, God himself, when Jesus was here on this earth, he had to have money. He went and got money from the fish's mouth. And uh, so money isn't evil, but I'm saying it's a human uh, invention. It's a human thing that operates here on this earth. God himself is not going to give you money. He is not going to counterfeit United States currency or whatever country you live in. He's not going to counterfeit the currency of your country and give it to you. Money is not going to fall out of the sky. I heard a man one time say that if you would send in to him for $10, he would give you a green string. You put it in your wallet and God would just create money and put it in your wallet and you'd never be broke again. That's a, that's a trick. That can't happen. God doesn't counterfeit any currency. God does not do those kind of things. He uses people. So if you have a need, did you know that God is going to use people to help meet that need? And if you're ignorant of that, if you're just praying and then expecting it to fall out of the sky, if you're looking for your ship to come in and you never sent one out, then you're going to be disappointed and then you're going to think, well, God, why didn't you answer my prayer? He did. He has blessed you with all spiritual blessings. He has given you power to get wealth. He has commanded his blessing upon you. And all of those things are real and reality in the spiritual realm. But you just didn't cooperate. You were looking for God to put money directly in your billfold when the truth is it comes through people. An example of what we're talking about is a friend of mine who had his house up for sale one time, and he had been trying to sell it for two years by the owner. He didn't want to go through a real estate guy, so he just put a sign in his own yard. He had had a few people look at it, but basically for two years he had been unable to sell this house. And it was in a market in Colorado at the time that was not very good at all. Houses were not selling well. And so this was really an area of concern. He heard me teaching on this subject out of these exact same things. And the Lord spoke to him and told him that the reason he hadn't seen his house sell isn't because God hadn't moved on someone, hadn't spoken to someone about buying the house, but it was rather because Satan was hindering the uh, prospective buyer and that he hadn't been interceding and binding this thing. There was a demonic hindrance that wasn't this man's fault. It was the person who was going to buy his house was being hindered. And so he received that as a word from the Lord and he began to pray about it. Since he didn't know what the situation was, he just prayed in the Spirit, prayed in tongues, and believed that God was interceding through him. Within two days, he he was sitting at a a closing on his house, and a man gave him uh, money for his house, and the house was sold. And as they were going through the closing, this man who was buying his house told him, and he said, did you know that two years ago, the very first day that you put a sign in your yard that your house was for sale by owner, I told my wife that was our house. And he says, I have been trying for two years to get my finances together. And I don't know all of the details, but I think it was him trying to sell his house and the person who was buying his house was having trouble and it was under contract. And and anyway, there was just all of these different hindrances. But this man told my friend, he says, And the strangest thing, two days ago, 
which was exactly the time that my friend got this revelation and started interceding and rebuking whatever the hindrances were. He says, two days ago, the man who had been trying to buy my house came and gave me cash and we closed and it was done. And it took me a day or two to get things together and get over here and do this. But see, the truth was that God had answered this man's prayer two years before he saw anything happen. And it was not God who wasn't moving. It was Satan who had hindered through other people. And if you don't understand that, then what will happen is you'll pray and ask God to sell your house. And then if it doesn't sell, you say, God, you didn't sell my house. Well, no, God did. God has already talked to people. He answers every prayer. It's already done. He's already commanded this blessing upon you. But it's in the spiritual realm. And you've got to bring it from the spirit into the physical realm. And how do you do that? Well, there's just a multitude of things that are involved in this. Uh, But the principle is what I'm trying to lay out right here and get this across. I tell you, if you can understand this, it'll make a difference in the way that you receive from God. See, now when I pray for a healing, and if I don't see a manifestation of what I have prayed for, then I never say, God, why haven't you done this? And I don't ever go back and start saying, oh, God, I don't know why you haven't healed me yet or healed this person yet. But we're just asking you, God, please move. Oh, God, move. Then we start fasting and praying. Then we get other people to pray and we start bombarding heaven and trying to plead with God and make God do it. That whole mindset is unbelief. You didn't believe that you received when you prayed. You know, that scripture over in uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 24 I've already used that in this series. It says, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. That verse says you have to believe that you receive when you pray. Not when you see it, but when you pray. Instantly. While you're praying. Now, how can you do that if you're praying, say, for instance, for a healing and you don't feel healed instantly? Well, then how can you believe that God answered your prayer? You can believe it if you understand that there is a spiritual world. And John 4, 24 says God is a spirit. God moves in the spiritual world. The moment you prayed, boom, it's already done. It's a reality in the spiritual world. And then if you don't see it manifest, don't doubt that God has done what his word said that he did. You believe that you received when you prayed. And then as you continue to pray, don't pray and ask for it anymore but rather take authority and begin to bind any demonic powers that are hindering this thing from coming to pass. Begin to pray for revelation. If there's something you're supposed to do, as we were talking about in the financial realm, if you need to go out and get a job, or if God, if I need to give some money or sow some seed, or God, if I need to do something, well, then show me what I need to do. But see, quit doubting that God has moved and that God has done it. God has already provided everything you need. It's already in the spiritual world, and it's just a matter of you believing that it's done. Since I have understood this principle, It has revolutionized the way I pray, not only for myself, but also for other people. For me, a classic example of what I'm talking about is all the way back in 1977 in Childress, Texas. And this wasn't long after the Lord had shown me these things about Daniel in Daniel chapter 9 and chapter 10. And I held a meeting and taught a message that I entitled, What to Do When Your Prayers Seem Unanswered. 
And I talked about how that God has already done it. It's already been done and that it's not a matter of us waiting on God to produce the healing, but it's already there in the spiritual world and how we can uh, provide this bridge for that to come into the physical world through faith. In other words, faith reaches over into the spiritual and brings those things into physical manifestation. And so I was teaching that we control how quickly healings manifest, that you can make the healing power of God manifest because God has already done it. And so I held a meeting. We rented a place in Childress, Texas. It was called the Women's Department Club. And we held a meeting, and I don't even remember how many people were there. There might have been a 100, somewhere around there. And I taught this message. And then I said, let's demonstrate. And I said, if we got anybody here who's sick or has got something wrong, And we had a young 17-year-old boy come up who was blind in one eye. And so I'd taught that God has already healed. It's a done deal. In the spiritual world, it's a reality. And all we have to do is bring it over into the physical world. So I laid hands on him. I prayed. I rebuked everything I knew to do. I prayed and commanded him to see. And then I said, now cover up your good eye and look through that bad eye and tell me how many fingers I have up. And I held my hand up in front of his face. He couldn't see anything. He couldn't even see my hand. He couldn't see light, nothing. There was zero manifestation. I had to even take my hand and point it towards my other hand that I was holding up and, and, you know, grab his face and turn it so because he wasn't even looking in the right direction. And so when that happened, immediately, because of what people saw, They thought, well, this doesn't work. That's not true. And you could just feel the moans and the groans of unbelief. And so I turned around to the crowd and I said, look, I believe that what I'm teaching is true. And we haven't seen it manifest, but it's not because God hasn't healed him. It's not because we're waiting on God to heal him. It's because we are having trouble getting it from the spiritual into the physical. It's our fault. It's not God's. And so I dismissed the crowd. And I said, those of you that want to go, need to go, you're welcome to go. If you want to stay around and if you will stand in faith and believe that God has already done this, and it's just a matter of us believing and receiving, then I said, you can stay and pray with me. And there was probably somewhere around 25 people that stayed to pray. And so we just gathered around this young boy and we started praying for him and uh, we weren't asking, oh, God, you didn't heal the first time, now heal. What we were doing was saying, Father, we believe it's true that you've already healed him. Your power's already released. Whatever is keeping it from coming into physical manifestation, we bind. We ask you to give us wisdom. Show us what's going on. We were praying in tongues because the Bible says you build up yourself on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost in Jude chapter 1. And verse 20, and so we were doing all of these things, and we went on for, I think it was about 30 minutes. And about every five minutes, I'd stop, have this boy cover up his good eye, and look through his bad eye, the one that we were praying for, and tell me how many fingers I had up. He never was able to see my hand. That went on for nearly 30 minutes. And, um, I mean, I was getting to a place of God... You know, something's got to happen. I really believe this to be true, but I I don't know what's happening. And so I was just asking God. I was praying for wisdom. And all of a sudden, the Lord, I felt like it was the Lord spoke to me, and he said, he doesn't need a healing. He needs a miracle. And when I had that thought come to me, my next thought was, what's the difference? 
I never thought about the difference between a healing and a miracle. Since then, I've learned some about it, but I still, uh, it's an area I'm still learning about. But I mean, that was the first time I'd ever thought of it. And I was just sitting there in my, I was praying in tongues outwardly, but inside I was trying to think, is this really God? What would the difference be? Would this make a difference in the way we're praying? And as I was thinking about that, my associate, Don Crow, who is my associate pastor in Childers, Texas, he's still with me today. He just spoke up and he said, Andrew, God spoke to me and said that he doesn't need a healing. He needs a miracle. I mean, it was word for word what God spoke to me. So I knew that that had to be God, but I still didn't totally understand it. So we just stopped and I just asked this boy, I said, what's wrong with your eye anyway? And he said, well, when I was a baby, I had an infection in my eye and and uh, they did surgery, and they surgically removed the lens and the retina from his eye. He says, I don't even have the parts of my eye there to be able to see. And as soon as he said that, I said, well, man, you don't need a healing. You need a miracle. You need a creative miracle. You need God to put those things there. So then we prayed again, and we didn't pray and say, oh, God, you didn't heal him the first time. Now heal him. No, but what we did is say, Father, we believe that you healed him. The very first time we prayed, and now we just have a, a more knowledge about what's going on. I cut my hands over this boy's face, and I spoke to his eye. Now, I'm not saying you have to do that. That's just what I did. It helped me focus my attention and my authority. And I spoke to that eye and commanded a lens and a retina to come into his eye in the name of Jesus. And then I had him cover up his good eye and look through that bad eye. And I said, how many fingers do I have up? And he said, one, two, and he could see. And God opened his eyes. Now, the truth is God released that power before he was ever born. It was already provided through Jesus and it was available in the spirit realm. The moment we prayed, I believe that God's power was in motion to bring that into physical manifestation. But there were some hindrances. I still don't understand everything that goes on. I don't know why I had to receive revelation that it wasn't a healing. It was a miracle. Uh, I believe that it was just for me. It was to quicken my faith. And when I had that happen and Don confirmed it, it really made my faith surge and I took authority. And then the Bible also says in Mark eleven twenty three that you have to say to this mountain, be removed. Most people don't talk to their mountain or their problem. They talk to God about their mountain or their problem. This says you have to speak to your problem. The problem was that this boy didn't have a lens and a retina to be able to see. And so I had to speak to him. And the Bible also says that you can create things. Creation, the creative power of the words. Death and life are in the power of the words. Proverbs chapter 18. And so all of these things happened. It quickened my faith. And then I spoke to a lens and a retina, commanded them to come, and then he could see. You know, if we hadn't have persisted with this knowledge of what I've been sharing here on this tape, and if I would have just prayed for this boy and have believed God to heal him, I believe that in the spiritual realm it would have been done. And I believe that in the spiritual realm God would have been moving. And if this young man could have gone on and have continued in faith on his own and have not doubted and have stood there, eventually that would have come into physical manifestation. It might have been a day, a week, a month, a year later. But... If nobody quit believing, 
If we didn't get into unbelief, if we stood in faith, I believe that what was true in the spiritual would have eventually manifested itself in the physical. But you know what? I don't think that happens very often. Most people that are struggling with something like that, there's just a lot of discouragement. And over a period of time, instead of getting stronger in faith, their faith gets weaker. And I think that by us just praying for people and letting them go, that we do a disservice. Now, I have some very good friends who have healing ministries, and they just pray for a person and never look back, don't ever think about it because they don't want to get into unbelief, and they see some good things happen. I'm not saying that that doesn't work to a degree, but I'm saying that it's just fraught with all kinds of problems because most people, if they don't see a physical manifestation of what they're praying for in a relatively short period of time, they're going to get into unbelief, and that's going to stop it from happening. And it doesn't have to go on like that. I believe that, honestly, God has already done it. God has already provided. Everything is a done deal. And as soon as we can believe, as much as we can believe, and begin to start learning how the power of God works, we can make things manifest. Some of the greatest healing evangelists had this same concept. They may not have taught it from the same scriptures and used exactly the same mentality that I did, but they had this concept. I was just listening to a tape this week where a man was talking about John Lake, and he read a letter from John G. Lake, who was one of the greatest healing evangelists of the early 1900s. He had over 100,000 confirmed, documented cases of healing, so much so that actually a um, hospital in uh, Spokane, Washington, closed down for a period of time because there were so few people uh, that needed their services because he was being so effective. And John G. Lake wrote a letter, and I'm paraphrasing, but basically John Lake said that in his opinion, that and of course he had a very effective, fruitful ministry, so I think his opinion is worth taking into account. In his opinion, the number one problem that kept people from seeing the healing that Jesus had purchased from them, from uh, manifesting itself in their life, was the fact that people were just praying and asking and then passively waiting on God to heal them, not understanding that God has already done it and they aren't taking their authority and commanding it to come into manifestation now. It was this issue of just letting things drag out over weeks, months, years, instead of believing God and making what God had already done in the spiritual world come into the physical world. That was the number one problem by Dr. John G. Lake's opinion. And I believe that that's the exact same thing that I'm saying here. God has already done it. And we need to believe it's already done and then receive what he's done. And if you don't see a physical manifestation of what you've prayed for, then you have to get in and start uh, battling your own unbelief. You have to start receiving wisdom if there's something that you need to do. If there is a demonic power involved, you've got to deal with that and break that power, and there's just multiple things. But the principle is established in Scripture that God has already done it. Let me give you one last passage of Scripture before we quit on this topic. But out of Mark chapter 8, there's an instance where Jesus operated in this same understanding. I believe that this is exactly what he was doing. John chapter 8, verse 22. It says, And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. 
And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see man as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and, he, and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town nor tell it to any in the town. Now, this is an unusual example of healing. This is the only time in Scripture where Jesus asked a person something about did it work after he prayed for him. And it's also the only time that he ever prayed for a physical need a second time. So this is a very unique situation. So what what was going on here? Well, first of all, it says that this was in a place called Bethsaida. And notice in verse 23 that he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. Now, some people just think that Jesus did things weird just to keep us off balance so that you can never figure God out. That there's, you know, God has no rhyme or reason. He just delights in doing things in unusual ways. And they're they're talking about the person who is the creator of this universe that is so meticulous in its detail. Everything is perfect perfect. The, everything is just works together. You can predict where the stars and planets will be a million years from now if the Lord was to tarry, or where they were 10,000 years ago, because everything is so perfect. And so people think that the God of order himself created disorder and loves to do things in a random ma- manner. That's not true. When Jesus took this man by the hand and led him out of the town, It was because Bethsaida was one of the worst places Jesus had ever been. And he said in Luke chapter 10, Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works that had been done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have remained unto this day. And he pronounced a judgment on them. He said that Bethsaida was one of the two worst places as far as unbelief of any place he had ever been. And in the sixth chapter of the book of Mark, we find that Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth could do no mighty works, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. It didn't say he wouldn't do. It says he couldn't do it. Now, I'm not saying that he he prayed for somebody and nothing happened, but I'm just saying that the people wouldn't allow him to pray for them. They weren't in faith, and he couldn't pray for these people except for some minor things. Jesus was operating in faith 100%, so we know that there is no problem with him, but there has to be some degree of faith on the people's part receiving it. Now, I believe that that's been blown way out of proportion, and sometimes we use this as an excuse And just say that if a person doesn't manifest a healing, that it's always their fault. And I think that's too simplistic. I think that as many times as not, it's the person who's doing the praying just as much as it is the person who's receiving. But all of that being said, it still is true that there has to be some degree of faith on the person's part who is receiving the healing. And Jesus, knowing that, took this blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. Jesus was busy. He's infinitely busier than I was. I mean, he was busier than I am now. Jesus, I can guarantee you, if you need a healing today, I cannot come pray for you. I can't take you by the hand and walk an hour out into the countryside to pray for you. Jesus was busier than that. He didn't do this just to take a stroll. He did it to get this man away from the unbelief, knowing that the unbelief of that place of Bethsaida could hinder the power of God from manifesting this man's healing. That's why he did it. And even though he got the man 
out of the town, he perceived that he hadn't gotten all of the town out of the man. He perceived that this man was still being affected by that atmosphere of unbelief. And so after he prayed for him, he asked him what he saw. Now, he wasn't asking for the purpose of saying, did God answer my prayer? Did anything happen? See, that would have been unbelief. You have to believe that you receive when you pray. And if he was asking, did it work? Well, then that would have been unbelief. He would have violated his own teaching. And so, no, that's not what he was saying. He knew that God moved. He knew that God's power was present, but it was in the spiritual realm. And it had to come from the spiritual into the physical. And he was aware that the unbelief of that town and the effect that it had had on that man was hindering a full manifestation of what God had done. So he asked him, how is it? And the man said, I see men as trees walking. In other words, the power of God was manifest to a degree. The man had been totally blind before. Now he could see a little bit. So then Jesus did something unusual again. He laid hands on him a second time and prayed. Now see, some people think that this is just total unbelief to pray for something a second time. Well, it is unbelief if you ask for something twice. If you ask for something twice, then you have to believe that the first time you didn't get it or you wouldn't ask for it again. It's wrong to petition God for things over and over. You have to believe that you received when you prayed the first time. But it's not wrong to continue to pray if you understand that, God, you've given. Your power has been released. In the spirit world, it is complete but I don't want it to stay in the spirit. I've got to get it into the physical. And so now you pray again, not doubting that God is given, but now you pray to rebuke the devil. You pray to receive wisdom and revelation. You pray to build up your faith. Any of those kind of things, that's not only appropriate, that is preferred instead of just praying and then trying to forget it. There's a better way. Jesus confronted it head on, not doubting that God the Father was faithful, but doubting whether this man was faithful, doubting whether this unbelief of the town was hindering him. And so he asked, and when he saw that there was still some delay in the healing, instead of just letting this man go, which technically, if the man could have kept believing and would have never wavered, then he could have seen a full manifestation of that healing. But rather than Jesus just turn him loose, knowing that the tendency is to get into unbelief and discouragement, Jesus just ministered to him until he got the full healing. It's easier to keep something once you have it than it is to go get it when you don't have it. And so Jesus prayed for him a second time. Just basically the principle is that if you know Satan or these hindrances, unbelief, whatever it is, can withstand one dose of the Holy Ghost, they'd never withstand a second one. You just hit them again with that same power. And those eyes received, and he saw every man clearly. And then Jesus told the man, he says, don't go back into the town, nor go into, uh, nor tell it to any in the town. He told the man to go home, but you got to think, this is where this man lived. He may have had a job, or he may have had friends, or all kinds of things, and yet Jesus told him not to tell anybody and not to go back into town. Why? You know, that's a pretty strict requirement. I believe it's because he knew that that man, even though he had now gotten his healing, he could lose it if he got back around that unbelief. Some people don't understand that, but that's true. Jesus said in the fifth chapter of the book of John to a man who had been healed at the pool of Bethesda, he says, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. 
And so it's obvious that healings are not just guaranteed, that you have to maintain them by faith and a person can lose it. So for that reason, he told the man not to go back into that unbelieving situation. But see, here's this principle again. Jesus was not saying that, well, the Father didn't heal you the first time or he didn't completely heal you. We've got to pray and ask again. No, he knew that God the Father had healed him completely. It was already done, but he just recognized that there was a hindrance from getting it from the spiritual into the physical. And so he prayed with him a second time and got this man over that hindrance and then told him how to keep it. I tell you, if you can understand what I've said here on this tape, I think that this will really, really help you. God has already done everything. You're already healed. You're already blessed. You already have joy and peace. You already have financial prosperity. You already have wisdom. Everything that you could ever need is already in there. All you got to do is pray and receive. And if you don't see a physical miracle, instead of believing that it's God who hasn't moved, and that if he really wanted to, he could just snap his fingers and everything would be instantly done. Recognize that God is a spirit, John 4:24, and God to come from the spirit into the physical has to have the cooperation of some physical human being. He flows through us. And so we have to build ourselves up. Sometimes it takes us a period of time to get to where we can receive. It doesn't take God time to get to where he will give. He's already given. And sometimes other people are involved in our answers to prayer. Sometimes demonic opposition is what hinders things that God has already done from coming into manifestation. And so we have to receive wisdom about how Satan is hindering and speak to that. We have to learn the laws of God. You have to say to your mountain. Most people are talking to God about their mountain instead of talking to their mountain about God. And many times it's just because we aren't directing our prayers properly. But the principle is that God has already done everything. It's in the spiritual world. And it's just as fast as we can get ourselves into faith and learn how to do this, you can manifest what God has already done. Instead of making you a beggar, a pleader, a whiner, a griper, it'll make you a commander. A person who believes what God has said he's done is done, and then you begin to take your authority and you begin to command it to come to pass. Instead of just praying for healing, you can command healing. There's a huge difference. Instead of just praying for blessing, you can command the blessing of God. Huge difference. Boy, this is wonderful. You need to understand that there's a spiritual world, and it doesn't come by just hearing this one time. You are going to have to look into the Word of God. It's like a window. You can look through the Word of God right into the spiritual world. You can see these things. You can see what other people did and what was going on behind the scenes and know that that same thing is going on even around you, even though you can't see it or feel it with your physical senses. You can perceive it with the eyes of your heart. And I just pray that God opens up the eyes of your understanding and helps you to see this and to understand and get a full revelation of it's a done deal. Everything is already provided in the Spirit. And it's just a matter of you believing and renewing your mind and allowing yourself to become that bridge that God can flow through from the spiritual world into this physical world.